bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratty. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. We got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these big signals and messages. He doesn't have a bipartisan bill. Nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, November 5th, 2013. Today, I head to Ohio, where on Wednesday morning, I'll be speaking on the federal plenary session at the 2013 Ohio Housing Conference. From there, I'll head to Washington, D.C., where I'll be speaking at the 2013 Novogratik D.C. Renewable Energy Conference. Now, I start this week's podcast with information about the first meeting of the Budget Conference Committee that was established as part of the legislation that ended the government shutdown. I also have information on some comments from Treasury Secretary Jacob Liu about the President's plan for tax reform, as well as the potential for a vote on the Volcker Rule. In New Markets Tax Credit News, I share a letter from 70 representatives that urges the permanent extension of the New Market Tax Credit Program. I'll also discuss legislation that would set aside New Markets Tax Credits for projects in areas affected by military base closures. Then, I have a request for comment from the Community Development Financial Institutions Fund, CDFI Fund, about the CDFI Bond Guarantee Program application. Turning to our low-income housing tax credit segment, I share the information about the calendar year 2014 low-income housing tax credit and tax and bond caps, basically how much tax credits will be available in tax and bonds next year. I also will discuss Senator Mike Crapo's decision to support legislation that would make the 9% credit floor permanent. Finally, in our historic tax credit discussion, I'll discuss a report from Senator Tom Coburn that addresses some of the costs of the historic tax credit program. And regarding renewable energy, once again, I'll remind listeners that I'm headed to Washington, D.C. on Wednesday to speak at the Novogratik Renewable Energy Tax Credit Conference. Please join me there. Well, if you're ready, let's get started with the podcast. In general news, I begin with an update on the Budget Conference Committee. The committee held its first meeting on Wednesday, October 30th. Now, as I mentioned, the Budget Conference Committee was created as part of the continuing resolution that ended the government shutdown. The committee is made up of 29 members, and it's tasked with working towards a long-term budget solution. Now, the first meeting lasted about two hours, and in some ways, it was fairly perfunctory. Senators and representatives spent the time delivering opening statements about their individual budget priorities. They did not actually engage in any debate about the fiscal year 2014 budget. However, most did mention ending sequestration. Some of the other topics in the various opening statements included lowering tax rates, ending special interest subsidies, as well as tax reform. After giving the various opening statements, the committee adjourned until November 13th. Now until then, smaller groups are expected to meet to discuss possible ways 
to advance the effort to develop a long-term budget solution. Now, I remind you that the committee only has until December 13th to come up with a budget plan. However, if they don't come up with anything by December 13th, nothing too severe happens. That's because the government is funded until January 15, 2014. So in some ways, the more central deadline is that January 15, 2014 deadline. And then there's also the debt ceiling limit, which expires on February 7th. Well, I'll bring you updates on the committee's work in future podcasts, and I'll send out tweets as conditions warrant. Now, I'd like to update you on the tax reform debate. At the Select USA 2013 Investment Summit on October 31st, Halloween, Treasury Secretary Jacob Liu told potential investors that President Obama is committed to tax reform. Secretary Liu acknowledged that the U.S. statutory tax rate is one of the highest in the world. Statutory tax rate meaning the marginal tax rate. He said, however, that the United States only raises an average amount of revenue from its taxes, such that many point out that the average tax rate for corporations is considerably lower than the statutory tax rate. Secretary Liu attributed this lower average tax rate to special interest tax breaks and loopholes. President Obama, he said, would like a budget-neutral approach to business tax reform. And, he noted, has advanced a plan to lower the tax rates. Secretary Liu said that the president's plan was similar to those Congress is debating and that the president and Congress should be able to work together on tax reform. Now, if you'd like to review the president or Congress's plans or see what effect cutting the corporate tax rate could have on tax credit investment, I encourage you to visit www.novaco.com. There you can find budget proposals and research papers on the subject. Now, you may be wondering, but what is happening in the House of Representatives in regards to tax reform? Well, the House Ways and Means Committee, at least the Republicans on the committee, are committed to trying to do tax reform as well as trying to do a markup in November. That said, it remains to be seen if there's sufficient political will within the broader number of House Republicans to actually move forward with such a tax reform markup. We'll have to wait and see in the coming weeks if there is. I do note, however, that it does appear that the Republicans in the House Ways and Means Committee will have trouble reaching a top marginal tax rate of 25% for individuals. We suspect that they'll get there on the corporate side if they move forward with legislation, but on the individual side, there is a desire to have quintile revenue neutrality. What's quintile revenue neutrality? It's taking the various income levels and breaking them into fifths. And as part of tax reform, revenue neutral tax reform in the House, there's an effort to ensure that each quintile doesn't pay any more taxes. And to the extent that is a key structuring feature, then when it comes to the top quintile, even if you take away all the various tax expenditures and make other adjustments to the code, that top tax quintile, those with the highest incomes, at a 25% rate may actually realize a tax cut. If that's the case, there likely needs to be a higher marginal rate at that level or some type of surtax to ensure revenue neutrality within the various quintiles. So stay tuned on that matter. And if we get more information about that, obviously we'll send out a tweet or a breaking news email. So I'd like to close this general news session with an update on the Volcker Rule. 
That's the rule that restricts banks' ability to invest in private equity funds. And it's part of the 2010 Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act. Yes, 2010. It's hard to believe it's been three years since that law passed. Well, in late September, I reported that the Volcker Rule had not yet been finalized. Well, last week, Reuters reported that the Commodity Futures Trading Commission could vote on the rule in December. The commission's chairman, Gary Gensler, told Reuters that regulators had not agreed on the final wording of the rule as of October 30th. However, the commission and other agencies have been continuing to discuss the rule, and Gensler said he wanted to schedule a commission vote for the second week of December. Obviously, they won't be voting on the rule if they haven't come to agreement. Well, we'll have to wait and see if the commission does vote next month, and I'll update you as soon as I know more. Next up, we have new market tax credit news. Last week, a bipartisan group of 70 House lawmakers, all members that are not on the Ways and Means Committee, sent a letter to House Ways and Means Chairman Dave Camp and Ranking Member Sandy Levin urging them to support making the new market's tax credit permanent. In the letter, lawmakers argue that the new market tax credit is an important tool in bringing capital to economically distressed communities. The letter highlights some of the New Market Tax Credit's accomplishments since 2003. These include creating more than 350,000 jobs and leveraging over $55 billion in capital investments. The letter was initiated by Representative Steve Stivers, a Republican from Ohio, and Mike Mashad, a Democrat from Maine. Making the New Market Tax Credit permanent would be a game-changer, just as it was for the Low-Income Housing Tax Credit back in 1993. A permanent new market tax credit would allow community development entities to build stronger pipelines and would also expand the group of investors. The new market tax credit, as you know, has always seen strong bipartisan support. But as Congress begins to consider tax reform, obviously no tax expenditure or tax credit is completely safe. So we encourage you to reach out to your congressional representatives and urge them to support making the new market tax credit permanent. You can find a copy of the bipartisan letter at www.newmarketscredits.com. Now, unfortunately, the credit is likely to expire at the end of this year, and tax extenders aren't likely to be addressed until late next year. So as I've mentioned before, unfortunately, that means for this next allocation round, it's likely to be closer to the 3.5 allocation authority than the $8.5 billion allocation authority that was mentioned in the NOAA. In other new market tax credit news, Representative Mike Thompson from here in California last week introduced H.R. 3439. That's the New Markets Tax Credit Military Installation Act of 2013. If passed, this bill would direct as much as $100 million of new market tax credit authority for investments in communities affected by military base realignments or closure. In a press release, Representative Thompson said that new market tax credit would help revitalize former military base communities by attracting private investment to the area and creating jobs. According to the bill, more than 300 military installations across the country have been closed or realigned since 1988. For each of the 120 major base closures, 
about 300 military and civilian jobs were lost. The bill used an example, Vallejo, California, which, not too coincidentally, is in Representative Thompson's district. In 2008, Vallejo filed for bankruptcy protection, partly because the Mare Island Naval Shipyard had closed. That closure resulted in the loss of about 10,000 jobs. If this Military Installation Act passes, Vallejo would be one of the communities eligible for the military base set aside. Representative Thompson included a few examples of how the proposed set aside could have affected already completed New Market Tax Credit projects, including one that we featured in the July issue of the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits. His release announcing the bill said that New Market Tax Credits were used to convert a formal naval air station in Brunswick, Maine into a $15 million medical manufacturing facility. That project and another at the formal naval air station created more than 200 high-wage jobs. According to Representative Thompson, these projects could have been up to three times larger had there been additional New Market Tax Credit funding. If the bill passes, it could be interesting to see how it might be used in conjunction with funds directed at rural communities. If you want to find a copy of the bill, go to www.newmarketscredits.com. We'll continue to monitor the bill's progress and we'll bring you updates via Twitter and in future Tax Credit Tuesday podcasts as conditions warrant. Now let's turn to the Bond Guarantee Program. Last week, the Community Development Financial Institutions Fund announced that it's soliciting comments in regards to the CDFI Bond Guarantee Program. The CDFI Bond Guarantee Program is a new program that provides CDFIs with a new source of long-term capital. The program increases economic opportunity and promotes community development investments in distressed communities. The CDFI Fund announced the first three issuers and four recipients last month, and you would have heard that on our October 8th Tax Credit Tuesday podcast. The inaugural round of awards will be featured in our December issue of the Novograd Journal of Tax Credits. But getting back to the latest news, the CDFI Fund has requested comments on documents for both bond issuers and recipients. More particularly, the CDFI Fund is requesting comments on the following. The clarity of the qualified issuer application and guarantee application revised drafts, whether the CDFI Fund needs to provide any additional information or instructions in regards to the application process, any additional data that the CDFI Fund should request from issuers in order to determine which types of institutions may be eligible to become qualified issuers, whether the qualified issuer application and guarantee application asks the appropriate questions to determine an applicant's financial viability, also, whether additional asset classes should be included for purposes of secondary loan requirements, as well as suggestions on how secondary loan requirements could be modified to reduce the burden of program participation. Now, the deadline for comments is December 27, 2013. And to learn more about the CDFI Bond Guarantee Program, go to www.newmarketscredits.com. Turning to the low-income housing tax credit, last week, the IRS announced the inflation-adjusted low-income housing tax credit and private activity bond caps for 2014. For calendar year 2014, the amount used to calculate the state low-income housing tax credit ceiling is going to be the greater of the state population 
multiplied by $2.30 or $2.6 million. The amount used to calculate the state ceiling for 2014 private activity bond volume cap will be the greater of the state population multiplied by $100 or over $296 million. Now this is a little higher than the 2013 amounts. The amount used to calculate state local housing tax credits in 2013 used $2.25 times state population versus $2.30. So it's a five cent increase. That's about 2.22% per capita. The small state minimum went up from 2.59 to about 2.6. That's only about a 1.7% increase. Now in terms of the private activity bond volume cap, it went up from $95 per capita to $100. That represents obviously roughly a 5% increase. And the small state minimum went from $291 million to $296 million. Once again, about a 1.7% increase. If you want more information about these inflation adjustments, go to www.taxcredithousing.com. On the website, you can find a list of the 2013 state caps as well as a list of state caps dating back to 1999. Now I do note that as we move into future years, we do expect to see these low-income tax credit cap increase five cents a year, and a few times it might even get up to 10 cents a year given the way the calculations are done. Turning to the private activity bond value cap, it's likely to go up about $5 a year, but it'll be a few years where it doesn't move at all depending upon the rate of inflation. In other low-income tax credit news, we're pleased to announce that Senator Mike Crapo from Idaho has expressed his support for legislation to make permanent the fixed-rate floor for the low-income housing tax credit. Senator Crapo, he's an Idaho Republican, he's on the Senate Finance Committee, and he's the ranking member of the Senate Banking Committee. He recently signed on to co-sponsor Senate Bill 1442. That's the Improving the Long Muslim Tax Credit Rate Act. This bill, as you know from prior podcasts, makes permanent the fixed rate floor for 9% long Muslim tax credits. And as regular listeners know, the 9% floor expires at the end of this year. Second, the bill also provides a 4% credit rate floor for existing buildings. Now, this 4% credit rate floor would only apply to allocated credits and not credits available to a project by virtue of being financed with taxes and bonds. This is the bill that Senator Maria Cantwell introduced in August, and this brings the number of co-sponsors up to 25 senators at the time of this recording. In case you're wondering, these proposed amendments would apply to buildings placed in service after the bill is enacted. You can find a copy of the bill, you guessed it, www.taxcredithousing.com. Now let's turn to historic tax credit news. We have yet again another report from Senator Tom Coburn that challenges a government program. The report is entitled, Parked, How Congress Misplaced Priorities Are Trashing Our National Treasures. In that report, Senator Coburn says that Congress has, and I quote, misused more than $2.6 billion in annual National Park Service funding. As a consequence, he says, this has resulted in a backlog of deferred maintenance at the nation's parks. In the report, Senator Coburn attacks several programs 
including the Historic Tax Credit Program. As our regular listeners know, the National Park Service administers the Historic Tax Credit Program, or at least the historic nature of the Historic Tax Credit Program, and the Internal Revenue Service administers the tax credit aspect of the Historic Tax Credit Program. Now, the report by Senator Coburn says that the National Register of Historic Places and Historic Tax Credit Program cost about $63.3 million a year to operate. Now, I would note that the cost to operate the Historic Tax Credit Program is only $367,000. And I would also note that that's administering $600 million in annual historic tax credits, a pretty efficient operation. The report also doesn't mention the return on that investment. And the historic tax credit does have a proven value in preserving historic structures and generating a positive economic return for the nation. All you have to do is look at the National Park Service's annual report for fiscal year 2012 on the economic impact of the federal historic tax credit. In the report, they note that the historic tax credit and related investments are responsible for $3.4 billion in gross domestic product, and that's in 2012 alone. That $3.4 billion includes $1.1 billion in construction and $900 million in manufacturing spending. Over the life of the program, about $20 billion in historic tax credit costs have encouraged over $100 billion in historic rehabilitation. This rehabilitation investment has generated over 2.4 million new jobs. Now, in the report, Senator Coburn also questions the value of the historic resources that the credits preserved. He cites professional baseball stadiums, beer gardens and breweries, and a country club as questionable recipients of the credit. Now, I'd counter that all of these are historic in nature, as well as their revenue-producing enterprises that provide jobs and increase economic activity. I'd also say these types of projects represent a small fraction of the projects that use the credit. As someone who's been active in the historic tax credit industry for more than 25 years, I'd say that the majority of the credits go to office buildings, housing developments, retail ventures, and more developments of that ilk. Now, what's about the report? Now, one thing that's interesting about the report is Senator Coburn does spend time discussing the success of National Park Service properties that have become public-private partnerships. I would remind you that the Historic Tax Credit Program is a public-private partnership and, as such, provides a federal incentive and review of private efforts by the federal government in concert with private efforts to help restore historic buildings and return them to becoming economically productive assets. I'd also note, though, that the report doesn't call for any changes in the historic preservation tax credit. Now, it'll be interesting to watch what Senator Coburn does have to say about the program in the future. And if you want to read the report, as well as the National Park Service's annual reports, go online to www.historictaxcredits.com. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik & Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novoco.com 
forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik & Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.